Um, yes, as I was saying, it's a tremendous honor for us to have you here with us, Professor Zohar. I, I, before I speak a bit about uh, the, professor's, the professor's bio, I, I want to say that, you know, I, for years and years, um, and this is my first time that I'm actually seeing Professor uh, virtually face to face, but um, I have heard about him and known about him for years because I know that um, anytime that there has been a need for a source and a voice that speaks of classics for the approach to study, to learning, to Yahadut, to, to Judaism, to, to study of Torah, to society, um, he's the authority for all intents and purposes. And so um, for us to have you here and for you, for you to agree to have done this, Professor, is really not only an honor for us, but a tremendous privilege. And um, we're all very excited. So Professor Zohar was born in the United States, but he's been living in, in the Aretz, in Israel, since his parents came on Aliyah in 1958. And he served in the IDF and afterwards for three years studied in Yeshivat Mirkaz Arav. His graduate studies were conducted at the Hebrew University's Institute of Contemporary Jewry, where he completed his PhD in 1989. I'm going to ask everybody who is not muted to please mute. Well, professor Zohar was appointed, appointed Chauncey Stillman Professor of Sephardic Law and Ethics at Bar Ilan University, where he taught from 1999 in the Faculty of Law and in the Faculty of Jewish Studies until he was granted the status of Professor Emeritus in October 2017. He's on the editorial boards of the Journal of Law, Religion and State, published by Brill, of Pamim, and of Tzionutatit. He was recently awarded a four-year grant by the Israel Science Foundation for research on Sephardic halachic creativity in Israel from the, uh, during the Six-Day War, until, uh, from the Six-Day War until the present. He is interested in all aspects of Jewish life and thought, especially in modern times. And he has researched the culture and creativity of Sephardic Oriental rabbis in, the, uh, in modern times. And he is going to be speaking us tonight, to us tonight about the Sephardi approach to interhuman relations using Hachem and Zion Uziel, the former Rishon Zion, and his Higioner Uziel as a base for that discussion. Um, which is something that is, that is remarkable to hear from, from a hacham who was, who was essentially pre these ideas kind of coming into, you know, to um, Orthodox Jewish life. Before we begin, I do want to share, I'm just going to share two anecdotes that were told to me by hacham Ovadia Yosef Zatzal himself about hacham Tzion Oziel. The first was that he told me that when, when he became Rishon Zion, hacham Tzion Oziel was, was Rishon Zion two two times prior. So it was Hamid Zion Uziel, Hacham Yitzhak Nisim, and Hacham Ovadiyah. And Hacham Ovadiyah said that when he became Rishon Zion, he was asked by uh, interviewers which rabbinic figure he wanted to be like. Who did he aspire to? Who was his role model? And Hacham Ovadiyah said, Hacham Zion Ben Uziel, because of his inclusivity and because of the way that he, he treated the Tzibur and his care for the Tzibur, and that's who he wanted to, to, um, to emulate. And the second thing that he told us simply was, you know, people think that, you know, hachamim who care about the Tzibur, who are, who are interested in these, these human-oriented approaches, may have less uh, of, 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 of a robust scholarship, that people make this, you know, sometimes have these stereotypes that they put. And he said, and he said this to the entire Shiva, 
that I that when he when we went when I was there, and he said Chacham and Zuhun Ziel had a thirty day holiday. He had a thirty day vacation, and he took the the holiday. He goes, he said Magialo, well, deserves it. He was Zuhun Ziel working very hard, and he said Ubezman Ezeu Amarli Chacham Zuhun told Chacham Omadiyah who gamar kol Masichet Shabbat. He finished from cover to cover, reviewing the entirety of Masechet Shabbat during his 30-day vacation. And Achamaviyah said, Masechet Shabbat, it's not a child's play, you know, that you run through it like that. That was Hacham Ben-Zion Oziel. He, he used that to kind of show his, his, his power of scholarship and his mastery and command of the entirety of Torah. Um, but we're looking very forward to hearing the professor's words on, on Hacham Mencion Ozeel's approach to interhuman relations. Without further ado, we turn it over to you, professor. Um, okay, thank you very much for your kind words. And uh, I would also like to uh, commend uh, you and uh, uh, Sina for uh, this uh, initiative of having this framework of the Chabura or the Beit Midrash, which I think is uh, very important and has great potential. And uh, interestingly, because now we are doing everything through Zoom, so many people from around the world now can participate together in events that until now, perhaps people didn't think in, in that way of doing it, and everything was much more locally based. And, and this possibility for working internationally has a lot of interesting uh, potential. Um, and uh, that being said, um, there is a certain style of religious attitude in which people have a hero that they choose and that person um, they follow him and that person they picture as a perfect human being who can make no mistakes and should be followed in everything um, and I must admit that this does not seem to me to be the best approach. I certainly don't uh, hold it. And I have many rabbis and scholars uh, that I've learned their teachings and that I admire very much, but that doesn't mean that I personally feel that I have to agree with them on everything or whatever they say I have to do because um, ultimately, uh, the judgment of uh, my life before God and man is my responsibility. Uh, that being said, uh, certainly in many cases and in many ways, um, I, I think that Rav Ovaya, that Rav Ben-Zion Meir is an individual worthy of great respect and to, you can learn a lot from his attitudes. He was born in the old city of Jerusalem in 1880. His uh, family originally came a couple of generations before from Salonika, but before that, ultimately, they had come from Spain after the expulsion. And he grew up in the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, 
as part of that, he spoke uh, Arabic, he spoke uh, Ladino, and he studied in uh, the Midrash of Chachamim, of uh, Aramaic, Hebrew, but he also learned other languages. And uh, in 1912, the Jewish community in Jaffa wanted a chief rabbi that would be recognized by the Ottoman authorities. This was before World War I. And there was a very well-known rabbi who was living in Jaffa at that time, since 1904, called Rabbi Cook. But Rabbi Cook did not want to assume Ottoman citizenship. He wanted to retain his Russian citizenship, which gave him certain legal advantages. And therefore, they were looking around and they found the young Rabbi Uziel, 32 years old, to be the Chacham Bashi of uh, Jaffa. In the summer of 1914, Rabbi Cook went on a vacation to Switzerland, I believe, and World War I broke out. And it was Rabbi Uziel who, during the whole course of the war, represented the Jewish community of Jaffa and Tel Aviv, which had just begun, to the Ottoman authorities. And there were a lot of issues and problems going on. And, uh, after the war, uh, he spent a couple of years in Salonika in 1921-22. He came back to Tel Aviv. He was the chief rabbi of Jaffa and Tel Aviv. And then in 1939, the uh, Rishon Le uh, Rabbi Yaakov Meir passed away and Rabbi Uziel was chosen. Now you have to know that until 1920, 21, when the uh, rabbinate was established in Eretz Yisrael by the British, there was no chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael because Eretz Yisrael didn't exist in the Ottoman geographical framework. So there was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, there was a chief rabbi of Tzifat, there was the chief rabbi of Akko, and each of these was called Chacham Bashi. Now, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem had special prestige, and he was called in the Hebrew name Rishon Letzion. Now, when the British made the Sephardic chief rabbi, the Sephardic chief rabbi took the name of Rishon Letzion from being the name of the chief rabbi, the title of the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, and made it into the name of the chief rabbi of Eretz Israel. So now, the meaning of Rishon Etzion has changed. Um, also, other things have changed because usually at any given time in history, there was one Rishon Etzion, the previous one having passed away, and that's why they chose a new one. Now, every 10 years, according to the Israeli legal system, you make a new choice for the chief Sephardic rabbi and the chief Ashkenazic rabbi. So you now have about quite a few rabbis living simultaneously, each of which holding the title Rishon Letzion because they used to be, and they decided to retain it. So in 1939, Rabbi Uziel became the first Sephardic, the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, and in this capacity in 1948, he became the chief rabbi, the first Sephardic chief rabbi of Medinat Yisrael, a post he held until his death in 1953. He died at a relatively young age, um, 
a, an, an hour was 73 years old, he had a diabetes. And probably today that could have been held under control by medications and procedures that we now have, but they didn't have it then. And he passed away in 1973. And uh, he wrote the nine volumes of and also quite a few other interesting and original books. Towards the very end of his life, he published two volumes or wrote two volumes of Jewish thought, which he called Hegione Oziel. The first volume was published in 1953, just before he passed away. And the second volume, which he had already prepared, actually came out in 1954, after he passed away. And in this volume, there's interesting things to read, also in the Shedot but uh, what I would like to do this evening is to uh, read with you together uh, sections uh, about his view of humanity and uh, the relation, the Jewish people's relation uh, to humanity. And, uh, um, okay, I'm sharing the screen now. And, uh, um, here we have, okay, so it's sections from volume two of Hegione Uziel. And I'll read through the Hebrew and uh, translate it. And uh, I can either take questions while we're going or afterwards, uh, whatever uh, Sina decides. Okay. All of humanity, or rather all of the universe or creation, he guf echad is one body one organism, murkav mitta'imem merubi, made of many cells or units, mechubarim echad el hasheni, connected to one another. Bekulam yachad nikraim olam, it's a mistake of my printing. Olam ha-gadol, ha-adam ha-gadol, this is like one big unit. Umimenu mit-anefim, anafim is like branches from this, Branch out olamot ketanim lesugehem, smaller worlds of various types umenehem. Udimuyot adam ketanod vivhinat zeirat anpin shel adam agadol. These smaller and smaller units, each of which comprise part of this organism. Betsurot kibutziot. These are human groups. Leumiot nations, shiftiot tribes, umishpachtiot and families will be the muto and finally adama yechidi this unit this first single human being sheteudato the goal the mission the destiny shel adama yechidi ba'olamo i'll read through and then we'll Say something about this. Enani shlemet, the human, the individual's destiny or goal in existence, enani shlemet cannot become complete. Ella except when he is part of the greater group, 
פועל בתוכם ונפעל מהם, active within them and affected by them. ואדם הפורש מן הכלל, somebody who leaves the greater group and wants to live as a secluded person, who evar meduldal is like a, a, a part of a body that has fallen into disuse and is shrinking. Shehu, in such a condition of trying to lead a secluded life, he gets some sustenance from human and general existence. But he doesn't give anything back in return. He is not in any interaction. In order that the individual human being, and that humanity in general will reach its proper state of being shalem. The great, wonderful wisdom of the creator of man determined to impress in the nature of his individual existence Okay, so we can conceive of the um, human life or the existence of the world, we can think about it as an organism. We all know the issue of the effect of the butterfly's wing in some places going to now disturb the general equilibrium of everything and cause tremendous consequences. So if we think about it, we can realize and acknowledge on a certain level that everything is interconnected. But our primordial experience is of ourselves as individuals. And we don't necessarily always feel or have this tendency to all feeling interconnected and acknowledging what that means. And lest humans would fall into a state, okay, of some kind of monkish living in solitude and try to achieve perfection through that, God impressed on us an inclination to become part of groups. But according to Rabbi Ziel, this is something that we have to cultivate. We have a tendency, we have to cultivate and it doesn't mean that we are foreordained at any primordial level that we have to belong to this specific group or that specific group. We have an innate tendency, he thinks, to want to belong, but how we will belong and how we will actually express this is something that we have to choose 
and live up to. This interactive existence, being in connection with others, giving and receiving, is what it means, okay? Choose life. Life is interacting, okay? We're a living organism. We take in, we give out, we breathe, we are affected, we affect others. Choice of life means to choose to be in interaction. Torah Yisrael metzavav ve'omeret u'baharta b'chayim le'ma'antichyeh ata ve'zarecha. Choose life. Why? So that you and your progeny shall live. Okay, and now he makes an amazing statement. Zot omeret pachayim ha'artsiim enam emtsai la'tachlit. Elahem tachlit la'atzmam. Okay, so how he deals with the statement, I think in Masechet Avot, right? That you have to realize that this world is just an anteroom to the world to come and therefore get yourself organized and prepare yourself in the anteroom so that you could really get to the real significant existence which is in a different state of being. He says, well, something else here. Uvaharta b'chaim means achaim ha'artsiim we should not conceive of life on this earth as being, or as being merely, or as being mainly a foyer to get into the ballroom. No, life on this world has its own value. Choice of life is for the sake of life. So that we will have an eternal condition of life on a personal level, meaning the human race. The continuation and the eternality of our nation, and to ensure the continuation and eternal existence of humanity. And this move, which we begin to see here, which in a certain sense is consonant with his earlier statement, is it's and being an individual is independent. It's important, but being in interaction, we have to care about and interact with others. We have to think about the future and live life and also consider our people, our Leom, and also humanity in general. Interaction with others is with the meaning of what it means to love. To love means to be in interaction with another person, 
with other persons, and ultimately with the entire humanity. These are my words, okay? So love is stronger. It's like gravity, okay? The square of, okay. Love is strongest with those close to us. Okay, so my immediate family, my wife, my children, my parents, my brothers and sisters, I naturally feel stronger love to them and I interact with them on a more intensive and close basis. And that's fine. I don't have to justify myself if as somebody is, people are drowning and one of them is my wife and one of them is somebody that is also a human being, but I don't have to justify why I'm going to save my wife and not somebody that I didn't meet until now. But that doesn't mean that I really don't have in principle an obligation to everyone. And usually I'm not faced with this choice of absolutely only somebody close to me or somebody else, okay? And so he goes on to say, now not to the same degree as my very close relatives or my close people or community. Once again, this should be shalom, to seek peace, and to pursue peace with every human being. And to undertake actions of love and compassion that bring all of these even people that are our enemies, to the ultimate peace of the entire world, this is the goal and the yearning, the aspiration of Am Yisrael, and what we're going to see, we really began to see, but we'll see, Okay, here that frequently in our times, if somebody uh, speaks about a lot about the mitzvot, especially mitzvot ben adam lamakom, the same person is not going to be telling you about how we have to pursue human brotherhood throughout the world. And if somebody's going to be telling you, okay, and that person is frequently of a more orthodox or lady framework, but if somebody is Jewish and they start telling you about the universal mission of the people of Israel, usually you can say, well, that person, he must be liberal, reform, right? Really serious people into Torah, mitzvot, don't talk about this whole loving humanity and everything. This is okay. That's our mission, our goal. It says, When you come to attack a city, first thing is 
seek peace. ואם גם, רבי עוזיאל סז קל וחומר, ואם גם בשעת מלחמה נצטווינו לקרוא לשלום, והתנהגנו בחסד, if the time of war we are supposed to ask our enemy to agree to peace and to be full of chesed, על אחת כמה וכמה בשעת שלום, בשעת מלכיס, חובתנו לקרוא לשלום וללכת בדרכי שלום ואהבה, to go in ways of peace and love, עם כל אדם הנברא בצלם, with all human beings who are created in the image of God, אהבת האדם באשר הוא אדם, love of man as a human, אינה מבדלת בין עם לעם, There's no difference here between peoples. Kulam em begeder mitzvat ha'ahava. Okay, Torah commands us to seek, to be in a relationship of peace and ahava with all human beings. Since this is our goal, We as Jews should realize that we have to act to serve humanity or human beings. And the will being the settlement and the well-being of our social world, the Anafavamerubim in its many branches, to establish justice in the land, and to cause to reign shalom, ahava, peace, love, and brotherhood, elevation, ethical and scientific elevation and uplifting, בעולמנו, in our world. יישובו של עולם בכל ענפיו המרובים, to improve the state of the humanity and the יישוב of the world in all its aspects, ותנאימו קדם, is a precondition, וצורך הכרתי, and a necessary condition, להשגת דרכנו הישרה בחיים, in order to achieve our straight path in life. ביישובו ובניינו של עולם תרבה הדעת. By settling and creating and building the world, knowledge will increase. ובהכרתנו את מסתרי הטבע and our acquaintance, increasing our acquaintance with the secrets of nature, יתגלו לעינינו אופקים חדשים ורחבים מאוד. New horizons, broad horizons, will open up to our eyes when we investigate the secrets of nature. שמתוכם, from these things that we uncover, נציץ וניבשר, we will be able to pick and to receive knowledge about the wonders of 
God who is perfect. Yotzer Maaseh Bereshit, who created nature. And the way that he conducts and overlooks and takes care of nature in ways that are mysterious and wonderful. Okay, so acting for the benefit of the world in general and the human condition and getting to know more and more about nature is a religious vocation and goal. <clears throat> In light of all the above, and we'll see that Rabbi Uziel was not averse to making very direct statements. Taud gedolahi lomar, it's a great mistake to say. Their character, their laws, is should Jews consider that it is a mission of Jews to be different from everybody else? And the least we have in common with other humans, the better. Is this the meaning of Am Levadad Yishkon? No. Shelo aserat Torah ela, shelo laasot ka'avodatam ha'pulchanit o ketu'avotehem. When the Torah speaks about chokot ha'goyim, it's speaking about their modes of worship of other gods or to'avot, sexual, uh, uh, um, sexual activities that are very retrograde and disgusting. We are part of humanity. We shouldn't engage in Abu Dazara and worship God in the modes of Abu Dazara. We shouldn't behave with sexual depravity, but that's it. Now, you know, there's a big argument um, if you have an opportunity, Rabbi Yisrael Moshe Chazan, who was the chief born in Izmir, he grew up in Jerusalem, and he was the chief rabbi of Rome in the 1840s. He wrote the Sefer Shelotu Teshuvot Kerach Shelulomi, and the first Teshuvah in that book is an amazing Teshuvah about this issue. Okay. Are Jews basically different and separate from humanity? Or are Jews basically human beings who in certain things should not do what they're going to do? Is everything that's not forbidden permitted or encouraged or vice versa? Where then this, the background of this comes that he was asked by the uh, leaders of the Jewish community in Rome, that they had a very good idea that the people were forgetting when it was time to come to the tefillah. So what if they would build right next to the Batei Knesset, they were all together in one place, a very tall tower that would have on the top a clock 
and it would have bells that ring at certain times and this would enable the Jews in the ghetto of Rome to know when, what time it is and especially what time to come to Tefillah. Now, if you're living in Rome and you have the ideas to have a large tower near your Bet Knesset, which would have a clock and bells that would ring. Okay, what is more easy to say than this is Hukota Goim? But Rabbi Yisrael Moshe Chazan takes the opportunity to go into a very long excursus and discussion about um, this matter. And he explains that um, basically Jews and other human beings have very much in common. Not only do they have rationality in common, but also many things that influence their emotions are also similar and they're culturally generated. And he says he had been in many countries around the world. Interestingly, when he came to Muslim countries, the music that Jews in those countries appreciated and they used for their tefillot were very similar to the type of music that the non-Jewish population appreciated and now in Italy he sees that the type of music that Jews in Italy appreciate very much is very similar to the type of music that the non-Jews in Italy and he says that's very normal and it's perfectly fine we have a lot in common and this is not so in that case, he now says, now he's moving up to talk about what is national feeling or national identity. And he says like this, When we're talking about a national group, we shouldn't be thinking about a common race. Nor we shouldn't be thinking about a piece of land or a political system. Maybe it should have been um, uh, Nor are we thinking about customs, education, I think, sifrut, literature, and culture. All these are expressions, specific expressions of something underlying. The specific meaning that we should attach to the meaning peoplehood, nationhood, hashkafat olam, a worldview, what should be at stake and what is deeply at stake between different groups is what is the best way to lead a human life that will be the most uplifting, the most fulfilling, and enable us to rise up to the pinnacle Okay. Human beings all want, either consciously or unconsciously, 
to rise up to the highest level of human existence. And what we don't agree upon is how is the best way to get there? The difference between, he postulates, which you can see kind of the, between Israel and the nations and the other nations is politics and nation state is the state at the focus of our identification. That's what he claims is true of other groups. The Jewish people the content of the nation is the main thing. The state is a political formation and creation in order to fulfill the goal of what does it mean to be a nation. Okay, now he goes on to say, since all peoples in different ways are trying to somehow improve the human condition and get to the best possible way of living as a human being, and since, as we said before, means interaction and not solitude. Every state and every nation that have respect for themselves. No self-respecting people will want to only be autarkic and only base itself on what it already has. Ela, hem shoafim, they strive and they should strive. Lehachnis et kolatove vehayafe hamoil vanehedar elotzarama ulumi. Every people should want to look around what's going on in the world. There are wonderful things out there. Atov, hayafeh, mo'il, useful, nehedar, wonderful. And to bring those wonderful things in to our national treasure. Ulehotzi mishelahem, and every nation should also want to give out to the rest of humanity maximum, the most shefa beracha most blessing and enrichment we should want to enrich all human beings with what we have and enrich ourselves with what they have to establish a tie of love and friendship between all peoples in order to enrich the Treasury of humanity, with rational and ethical moral opinions, and discovering the secrets, the hidden secrets of nature. 
ואשרהו הלאום, blessed is the country and blessed is the people, שיכול לתת דין וחשבון לעצמו ממה שהכניס אל האוצרה משל אחרים. This is so unlike what you usually hear in Jewish education, right? The most blessing comes to a country that can give itself an account of all the wonderful things that we looked and found in the other countries and peoples of the world, and we brought it in. And now we're so much more enriched by this. And even more than that, we should be proud and happy. Every people should want to be proud and happy of what it granted from its own ginnazim, its own hidden uh, 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 treasures. של האנושיות כולה. אוי לה למדינה ולאומה. It's terrible for a country and a nation שמתקפלת בארבעה אמנותי הדת, folds itself up and shuts itself into its own little ארבעה אמות ומצטמצמת בגבוליה הצרים. It confines itself to its narrow borders because it doesn't have anything to give out. And lacking the vessels and the power to be able to take in from others. Now, he says, in fact, the Jewish people did what they should have been doing all along, so the Jewish people didn't shut itself off and didn't suffice to its narrow, what grows in its own little fields. didn't shut its eyes, didn't shut its eyes to the sparks of light in other places. ולא אטם את אוזנו, didn't shut its ears, משמו עשירת החיים, from hearing the song of life, בשדה העבודה, in the field of activity, בעיר ובכפר, in the towns and cities, ברחוב, in the streets, ובחרושת המעשה, and in the active creativity, הוא ספג לתוכו, זה שלי בקול מלוא נשימתו, the Jewish people took into itself with full breath et kol hachadash, everything that was new, notzet, sparkling, and mazihil, shining shebisdeh ha'acherim, ve'itbi'a alehem et chotam ha'kodesh shel'umiyuto. When we took in wonderful things from other peoples, we integrated it into our holy existence, and it became part of us. Okay, what do I, what do I think of when I read this? Seder Pesach. All, all scholars agree that Seder Pesach is framed and constructed on the Greco-Roman symposium, where people would sit around, on reclining on couches, and they would have food, and they would discuss together noble 
and uplifting ideas and exchange their opinions about this. And this is the format of Seder Pesach. But what is more Jewish than a Seder Pesach? So we took in this format and made it part of us. And now we have made things much better than they were before. This shows the great power of life. The great power that the Jewish people had to take in from outside wonderful things and integrate it. That they know what to take in, like right? You don't have to take in everything. You take in what's good and best. And you don't take in, you throw away what's not appropriate. The Jewish people to digest the food, to reject what uh, uh, has to be not accepted, and to feed its soul from the best and the most delicate. But where did it get this food from? From outside. Over and above, and even more than what Israel took in, Israel gave of its own to all the other nations. What? Torah. The Orah, Torah, and life, Mishpat Sedek, honest or true justice, Umusar Emet, true morality, Ahava Vechanila, Betorato, Torat Olam, through Israel's Torah. We contributed from this to humanity. All of what we gave, these are all things that we gave out that are full of sublime, sublime love, God, and all humans that were created in his image, and all of God's creation. Israel has a message and a contribution to humanity and is and was in interaction with humanity. And now we'll say that this was not only in the field of Torah and ethics and uh, religion. We didn't only, that didn't suffice for us, Israel was the pioneer in all fields of science and knowledge. Okay, now some people, okay, whenever you, if you hear they gave Nobel Prizes. So what is a famous Jewish sport? Let's check who is Jewish. And obviously, there is 
a disproportional number of people that won the Nobel Prize that are Jewish. But some people will say, Oi, Chaval, instead of being a physicist or Yonasal giving a vaccine, a vaccine for uh, uh, polio and all these other things, this was a great mind. He could have been a rabbi. What a waste. Okay, but Rabbi Uziel says no. Part of Israel's goal and urge is to contribute to humanity. So we contributed through Torah, we contributed through our prophets, we contributed through morality, morality, but also we are pioneers in all areas of science and Ascala. Despite that the other people limited us and pushed us away. Despite they were putting us within the walls of the ghetto. They tried to prevent us from illumination and to suffocate our soul. The Jewish people nevertheless took in, took into its own treasure. Everything that was new in the wide world. In the field of science, technology, and uh, um, productivity. Research in science. In the heavens above and the earth below. Uh, um, armed with its the knowledge that the Jews gained. Jews fought with all their powers of their body and soul to bring freedom and liberty in the countries that it lived. Jews were at the forefront of many movements of national liberation from oppression. Frequently say, oh, these people, they were Jewish. Nah, that's nothing Jewish about that. But Hosea says, no, the people who were doing that and sought to bring a just society, a free society in the various countries of the world, they were doing something that is part of what Jews should be doing. They pursued these ideals of freedom and justice in the various countries where they lived. In light of all this, what is the meaning of the holiness of the people of Israel and its goal, its mission? Our holiness will not be complete be <clears throat> by taking or leaving aside from human life in all its manifestations its pleasures 
Okay, now it, it's hard not to see this sense as a counterfoil to the idea of what is kedoshim to you, perushim to you, right? So, but that's probably said no, kedushatenu lotiyashelim. Our holiness will not be complete, be free shatenu. From what? From human life and the manifestation and joys and treasures of human existence. Aval, but rather, biotenu nizonim, we have to take in and uh, make part of our mazon, our food. All new things that happened in the world. All the wonderful discoveries. All philosophical and scientific ideas that grow and multiply in our world. The external things that we take in as our, we imbibe as our food, our, our, that we take in and take into ourselves and enrich these things enrich the storehouse and treasures of our people and the of our soul aval by taking all things in this doesn't mean we're going to lose our character and our holiness, we're going to enrich it. Shehi, our Kedushah and our holiness, it's still floating above the waters. And it gives a wonderful perfume to the entire world. And this is reminds you of the Midrash. Why did God say to Abraham, Lech Lecha? He says, because until that time, Abraham was like a jar or bottle of perfume that was closed. And other human beings couldn't benefit from this. By moving about, and the, the perfume became agitated and its good, wonderful smell spread throughout the world. And this is what should, we should be doing. By doing this and by taking in from the entire world, but maintaining our Kedusha and enriching it, this will bring Beracha, this brings blessing. Beracha vekorat ruach, a blessing and satisfaction. This will also bring us blessings and uh, praise from all the peoples. And he concludes, and I will conclude here the text, and then we can have some discussion if you're not falling asleep already. This should be not the goal, the summary of the goal and the mission of of the nationality and the national goal of the Jewish people, to live and to toil. 
to build and to be built. to improve our world and our life. to rise up ourselves and to bring others up to the highest level of perfection and success of humanity by way of peace and love. And we should become holy with the holiness of God in thought and action a blessing to ourselves, and a blessing and a praise, and a fame, and tiferet, and a wonderful, for all human beings, for all the nations, to be a holy people, to our God, our King, and Boreha Olam Veyotzer Adam. And in this way, Rabbi Uziel is presenting, this is much to the end of his life, right? This is like his parting message. Yone Uziel Kerechbet appeared just after he passed away, but he said it, okay? His vision of the Jewish people as part of humanity and as an ideal of interaction between the Jews, the Jewish people and Jewish culture and Judaism and the culture and creativity and activity and knowledge of all human beings and this interaction give and take breathe in breathe out uh, 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 eating and providing to others is the meaning of ahava the meaning of life um, okay and uh, any comments or thoughts um, um, uh. thank you so much that was uh, incredibly moving um, and very relevant uh, if anybody has any questions I know a couple of people messaged me saying they had uh, please well, do. I, I would like Robson I would like to yes please these are I mean soaring words by the by the hacham. And, you know, words that I'm sure so many of us wish we heard more, you know, spoken by our hachamim. Um, and it's a, tremendous, it's a tremendous resource for us. But the, the question that, I, you know, that I'm, I'm not, not necessarily personally interested, but I, you know, I think is important for us to kind of recognize and understand and discuss is that this is essentially a dialogue of the hacham. Where are his, so he brings a pasuk here, a line there, but where is the source of his formulation of these ideas? In other words, where if he, it, it, it's one thing, it's and that's one of the problems, you know, with it. We can simply point to Hakam uh, Oziel and say, "Well, look, he said it." 
And the attack would be, and I'm, I guess I'm sensitive to attacks, but I mean, the, the bottom line is, is that the attack would be, well, it's very nice. What's his source? One pasuk, we could read the pasuk differently. One line in the Talmud, we can read the Talmud differently. So it resonates wonderfully. I'm being devil's advocate. But where is the source for, for all of it? Or does it need one? Is it enough for the hacham simply to be the hacham and say, this is my thought? Um, okay, first of all, thank you for that question. And uh, uh, yes, well, first of all, you have to realize that these are excerpts. Yes, I understand. And, uh, uh, but even so, the excerpts, right? So the question is, yeah, I mean, is there, is there robust uh, marshalling or is it more uh, a sense of, you know, these are my ideas and here are, here's the scaffolding for it? Um, well, and that's my question. His various ideas, he um, builds on various verses in his interpretation. And the truth is that to a certain extent, um, um, interpretations are, to my mind, um, a reflection of, especially we talk about matters of Ashkafat Olam, right? We're not talking about, in an article that I published uh, several months ago, which I sent, I think, to Tina, and maybe uh, you've seen it. Uh, I, the first part of the article, I present and analyze these views of Rabbi Oziel. The second part, I say, well, now let's look at some teshuvot mm -hmm. that he wrote that express mm -hmm. the meaning or the, the implications of this in various concrete ways, yeah. okay? And, uh, and then you see that in the Teshuvot, it brings many sources and a lot of grounds and a lot of argumentation. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, look, uh, the rabbi of Satma. Yeah was the most extreme anti-Zionist in the world. Yes. Brings a lot of Pesukim. But yes, ultimately exactly. it's not these right. Pesukim right. that created his worldview because different other people knew these same Pesukim. And they didn't come and say, well, all of the Zionists are agents of the Satan and the right. They didn't come to the same conclusions. Right. So knowledge of the sources is heavily interpretation empowering mm -hmm. and what people do when they speak within a tradition is to learn as much as they can and understand as much as they can and uh, 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 take as much as they can both from within the tradition yeah. and elsewhere, okay? Because uh, we're really not an island. Yeah. Who is a greater scholar than Rambam? Yeah. Moshe ben Maimon. It's hard. You can't imagine a greater scholar. No. And he many basic things took. And he said, no, God doesn't have a body. 
Yeah. And people said, how many Pesukim do we say? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and after Matan and the Parashat Mishpatim, Moshe and the Shivim is Israel go up on Mount Sinai and they see God. tradition. Uh, and I mean, from my perspective, that is part of our frustration. You know, I, when I say our, I'm talking about, you know, the, this Sephardi Habura and, and uh, you know, the broader Sephardi people who are thinking, you know, where did my Misurah go? And I think that that's a very important part of it because it's a question of within the tradition, because of course there is going to be interpretation that lives within a particular framework and context of thought, which essentially the Hacham is presenting here in his way uh, and, you know, it's, that's the intangible of it. That's extremely difficult to, to present without the actual personalities and the milieu and the world that they populate. And I wonder how it is that you see, is there a way to, in your opinion, is there a way to rebuild that? Is there a way to be able to bring that? Is it simply remembering these texts, remembering the word, you know, or is there more to it? Um, um, when, well, uh, when I, um, when I finished high school, I went to study in a certain course of the Modi'in of the, and I served in the uh, IDF. And after I served in the IDF, I went to study for several years, as you said, in Merkaz Arab. And then at a certain point, I decided, okay, I want to also learn things that are not yeshiva learning. And I went to university. And I remember that a characteristic of every yeshiva that I knew about was that there were certain questions you can't ask. Can't ask them. You there too, certain... it's so interesting. I had the same experience in yeshiva. <laughs> and then at a certain point, my brother, Noam, who's younger than me, but he had just finished yeshiva today in Jerusalem. And he said to me, you know, a certain fellow from the United States came and he established a Bet Midrash where you're allowed to ask anything. Mm -hmm. And where you are supposed to bring whatever you know to bear on your learning of Torah. And you don't have to worry because Torah is not fragile. It won't break under your questions. <laughs> Right. By asking these additional questions, Torah won't break. You come out new, 
things that you never dreamed were there in the Mekorot because you're now asking a different question. Mm -hmm. Right. And you now, whatever you studied, you studied history, you studied, some people studied psychology, some people studied physics, some people studied that. Torah is not fragile and you could bring all of these questions into Beit HaMidrash and by doing that, it will become enriched. And I, I spent, uh, that, that person was called David Hartman, who got into a lot of trouble because certain people, oh, you're not Orthodox. Right. Okay, and they at a certain point say, well, I'm Orthodox, but I'm not depending on you to tell me what's Orthodox. Um, and uh, in a certain sense, uh, as uh, you may know, but it's worth saying uh, the whole category of reform, Sephardic rabbis, Rabbi Uzeh was not reform. He wasn't conservative. He wasn't the liberal movement, but Orthodox is also European movement, yes. which was yes. created in the 19th century in a certain type of reaction to the perceived threat of reform. Yeah. Um, and so this whole categorization to my mind is something that's not necessary at all historically. It's not native to Sephardim. It's not, it's not, not native to Jews. To Judaism. Yeah. But it's certainly not native to Sephardim. Yeah. Um, and it's one, this type of Hadash Asumina Torah and so on, that itself is a great chidush. Yeah. Okay, the original meaning of Hadash Asumina Torah in Talmudic uh, tradition is that the new crop that grows in the fields, you can't eat from it before you bring the Bikurim in Beit HaMikdash. And until that point, a Hadash, the new crop is Asur. Okay. And then came Hatam Sofer, who wanted to go against the reform. And the Hatam Sofer said, no, what this means is this. anything is new, it's forbidden. Okay, and there's a certain similar idea which came up at a certain time in Islam. It's called Bid'ah. Mm -hmm. If it's an innovation, it's not good. Mm. Okay, and, um, but, when you think about it, what is a greater thing than Hidushet Torah? Yeah. Right? We talk Hidushet Torah is that people will now be able to see in Torah something that nobody saw before. Mm. Um, and uh, so the idea that um, well, there's a lot to be said about this, but obviously Rabbi Uziel does not think Shahadash Asum in a Torah. Right. He says, Lehefech, if there's something new, some new idea, some new discovery, that's wonderful. Who gave human beings the capacity to discover all these things? It's because of Tzelem Elohim Sheba Adam, and Tzelem Elohim Sheba Adam is not a Jewish thing, which you see also from his lengthy Teshuvah about. Uh, a dissection of human beings to advance medicine. Okay. Yes. Thank and uh, mm -hmm. um, and he says no. It's just not uh, human beings are 
all created B'Tselem Elohim, and they're made to be creative. They're made to learn from one another. They're made to be the Hadesh, and that's a wonderful thing. We should benefit from this, and it's not, we shouldn't perceive it as a danger because we can integrate it. We may not originally know how. All right, so now somebody showed me a book uh, by a certain fellow that translated the Sefer Zohar into English, Matt, somebody, and he wrote a whole book how the description of the creation in Sefer Azor is wonderfully appropriate to the Big Bang theory of the creation of the universe from one infinitesimal spot that included everything. And okay, so, um, but the notion that we so so Abuziel is not coming from this approach. And there are others, Sephardic Chachamim, Rambam was not coming from this approach. Um, many other rabbis were not coming from this approach. The statement in Yunei Ziel, to my mind, is a, a unusually clear and powerful and no holds barred yes. statement of this attitude. Um, uh, um, what it, what it should what it's all about thank you thank you i don't want can to I ask a um, quick can I ask a very quick question no, no, that's fine I'm, if, yeah, if you're on um, can i ask yes, a very quick question thank you very much what was the relationship i mean i'm sure you can write books about this between Chachamuziel and Rav cook did they have a close relationship is there lots of uh, correspondence was there any correspondence between them that we know of um, well, um, first of all, you have to realize that uh, Rab Uziel was significantly younger than Rab Kook. Rab Kook passed away in 1935. At that time, Rab Uziel uh, was uh, in his mid-50s, but Rab Cook was much older, and uh, Rav Cook has, to my mind, an interesting disparity between his visionary statements and his actual halachic rulings. Okay, and uh, in his halachic rulings, Rabbi Uziel, Rabbi Cook is quite conservative with a small c. Um, and there's a whole series of issues in which you see that they disagree. Um, can women do, should women have the right to vote? Mm -hmm. Abu Cook says no. Mm -hmm. Abu Zia says obviously yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, what about the issue that I mentioned before about uh, advancing science and medicine through the section of human bodies. So Rav Cook says, well, okay, if we have to do it, we buy bodies from India. Of course, the Goyim don't care about this whole issue of Kiddushat Adam 
and the Tzelem Elohim is more manifest in the Jewish people than the Goyim. And Rav Uziel, who apparently did, was not aware at the time of, that Rav Cook said this because it was not yet published, but arguing against a similar position which he heard, he said, to say that there's a difference in the humanity of Jews and non-Jews, you can't say it, you can't write such a thing, it's a blasphemy. This is written, this is a direct quote from him, or it's a shmoa that he said this? What? Rav Uziel no, said, said, I'm not saying that he knew the tshuva of Rav Kook about yes. this was not published yet, but the opinion of this kind of opinion was something that Rav Uziel heard mm -hmm. and he directly said, you can't say it, that there's a difference in humanity and between Jews and non-Jews. Now, obviously, okay, he's going here against an entire Kabbalistic tradition. Yes. Mamash against the entire Kabbalistic tradition, but very much in keeping with the Bible. Mm -hmm. Right? The Tanakh says, and the Mishnah says, okay, in, in Sanhedrin, why do we say, why do we say, because all of the human beings were created and everyone is different from each other. And therefore people can't say, my father is bigger and more important than yours. We're all created in the image of God. All human beings. Um, and that's, uh, there's a whole article by uh, the great uh, scholar, uh, Professor Rav, Professor Ephraim Urbach, to show that there's two versions in that Mishnah. Okay, it says, And the other version is, And he shows that not only the logic, but the Manuscript uh, evidence is that Kol Amatzin Nefesh Achat, not necessarily Jewish, mm -hmm. is the original, uh, uh, the original. Thank you. Anybody else with any questions? Marcina, um, I wonder if we can stop sharing stop the share screen so we can see everybody on the um yes um professor Zar, if you can just stop the share screen all right That's just okay. a minute stop sharing just so, we, just so we can Whoop. see everyone there, there we, we go, go. can i say one thing quick thing please please uh, um so i was, I was going to ask a question which was similar uh, you know along the lines of what the rav asked but i, I think you know you addressed that um but first of all thank you so much for you know, this inspiring, you know, lessons and messages. Um, and it was a pleasure sort of reading the words of Chacham Uziel inside and your careful translation. Um, I just want, I remember reading a story of Chacham Uziel, which I thought was remarkable. And I was wondering, like, the historical accuracy of it, which was the one of, I think, pre-state, there was a skirmish between the Arabs and, and, and the Jews. And 
he entered the sort of in, in, entered the battleground. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've heard about this and he, he managed to stop. It was along, he used the same words, like along the same uh, theme of we're all brothers. And I've, I've seen it in a few places and I, I don't know if you know anything about this, um, about this story. Um, well, um, I've heard the story myself, but I can't give you a better source. Uh, uh, that it's written someplace or that it's uh, printed someplace. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a question from Robert. Um, so I'd like to, um, to ask the speaker, um, it's very interesting um, that we went through this, uh, the, this page of his book. What was the reaction at the time by the Alpha Hamim? Was anything, you know, was anything notable? Did people write against it? If you write for it, was there anything notable, or did it kind of really not get sort of noticed until much later? Um, okay, the truth is that um, in Rabbi Uziel's lifetime, uh, he was acknowledged by Sephardic rabbis in Eretz Israel and around the world as unquestionably the leading the Sephardic rabbi of his time. Um, and um, however, when he passed, first of all, the, all of his books were printed in very limited editions. Okay. And also is now what happened was that at a certain time in the early 1990s, a person uh, who's now past 85, I believe, called Ezra Barnea, decided to establish a committee for the republication of the works of Rabbi Uziel. Um, and he got several people to join him. And then after some time, he also asked me, but I had great, he said, he said when he was a child, he remembered Rabu Ziel, what a distinguished, wonderful person. And he had even studied in a yeshiva for teenagers that Rabu Ziel established. And he later told me, and I got great nahatrua from this, that he, when I was a graduate student in the Hebrew University in the 1980s, he was a teacher and he came to do an MA in Jewish studies, and he studied with me. I remembered him from then, a very, very fine person. And I brought some other Teshuvah, Rabbi Uziel, and I said, Haval, that you can't buy these books anymore. They're out of print and you can't buy them. Uh, so I had to photocopy it from the National Library. And he later said that this was one of his motivations to establish his vav. So now it's very easy to get books uh, by Rav Uziel. Um, but at the time, there was two things. First of all, the 1950s, and to a certain extent, the 1960s was, okay, the Nadir, the opposite of the zenith of uh, rabbinic studies in the world. Also in the Ashkenazic world, this was just after the Shoah, 
the great Torah centers of Europe had been destroyed, barely were beginning to be reestablished yeshivot. And also in the Sephardic world, for two reasons. First of all, because at the time, less and less young people were going to study to be Tamidei Chachamim. You could be a lawyer, you could be a scientist, you could be a, a, an artist. And the prestige of Chachamim in the 1950s was not high, to say the least. And also this was a time of the great immigration, aliyah, uprooting of the Jewish communities in the Middle East and North Africa. So the traditional modes of study were disrupted. There weren't yeshivot gedolot in Sephardic countries, but temidrash, 10, 20, 30 people. Uh, and, uh, and this was disrupted. And um, what was replaced, like Porat Yosef from the beginning was established by people who were of Sephardic origin from the right wing in the religious sense. People who were the Talmidim, the right wing of the Talmidim of the Benishchai came from Iraq to Jerusalem. People who were in the right wing of the Sephardic world in Aleppo, Halab came to Jerusalem. Other Halabi rabbis went to different places in the world. The ones that came to Jerusalem were the more conservative with a small C, and they lived in neighborhoods with a concentration of Haredim Ashkenazim. Rovadia Yosef studied in Talmud Torah, Benetzion, established by the Parush family of Ashkenazim, the Man Ahenua Sephardi. But the orientation that teachers there was Haredim. And that's why you see in Rav, in Rav uh, Chacham Ovadia Yosef, who was a tremendously, phenomenally great Amit Chacham, you see over time this interplay between the more traditional Sephardic openness and the influences of the Haredi world. And it's interesting to try to trace that. So obviously compared to what you see in the Haredi world, Rabbi Yosef was much more open and flexible. But compared to other Sephardic rabbis, not so much, okay? Compared to Rabbi Uziel, Rabbi Haim David Alevi, Rabbi David Shilush, Rabbi Yosef Masas and others, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef was not on the more than open edge of the Sephardic world, although it's clear that he was a tremendous Tamid Chacham and had tremendous influence and uh, restored the prestige of the Sephardic Torah. But where did he send all his sons to study? In Haredi Shivot. So all of his sons are more Haredi than he ever was. That's for sure. So, yes, please. Excuse me. Um, may I address uh, 
a, a question to the professor, please. Yes. Um, I know we can discuss these subjects through the night, actually. But um, what do we do, essentially, with the very long-standing Kabbalistic school, which, uh, which spans the Sfaradim, Ashkenazim, all the way from the Maharal, all the way through to the Benishchai, etc., who have a very different position on the crux of this evening's discussion. May I ask, in very brief terms, what do we do with, with that school? Well, ultimately, um, ultimately, you have to make a choice, right? You can't hold both in, in this issue of Selim Elohim and what follows from it. It's not in any way necessary according to the classical sources to hold the Kabbalistic view. Um, and um, it's not the case that all Sephardic Chachamim held this view. Sure. Um, and it's not the case that that's the authentic Sephardic. There were many and there are many Sephardic Mekubalim and uh, the, there's a great advantage to holding the Kabbalistic view, which is somebody could come and tell you point blank, this, you don't understand it, you can't understand it, that's the way it is, there's nothing to really discuss, that's the truth. Okay, so uh, it's just like a different form, to my mind, oh, I'm sorry, to my mind, it's a different form of Da Torah. What does Da Torah come and say? There's some people that have a certain way of understanding and intuiting what the true Jewish approach is that's beyond rational kin. You can't argue. You can't understand it. You can't critique it. You just have to believe. Um, and if you look historically, where did we get the Torah? There's a whole development. The Torah came to the sure. world from the Hasidic world. So am I to understand to, for, for clarification that you feel it's a choice that needs to be made between one and the other? They cannot leave. They cannot live side by side. Well, um, certain. First of all, the idea that you can study and ask questions and not take for an answer—that's how it is. That's a basic attitude, okay? I don't think Rabbi Ziel that. Now, there are certain things that's a matter of existential choices in a certain sense. Do I want to continue being a Jew? Uh, uh, 
do I find Torah and the world of tradition interesting and attractive and something that I want to be involved in the best I can. But then, does that mean giving up my critical facilities? Okay, that's a different question. And there's a whole Sephardic tradition that says, no, that's not what it means. You don't have to give up your critical facilities in order to be part of the discussion and part of Jewish life and part of Torah. Um, and uh, therefore, uh, um, if somebody comes and says, well, that's how it is, you say, just a minute, but there's a whole different tradition that doesn't hold that. Um, and uh, there's a very strong statement to me that's not what Rambam said. Thank you. And uh, so, um, uh, I'm, I'm, there may be very attractive insights that people can gain and be enriched from aspects of Kabbalah. But this issue, which seems to me in many ways crucial, are all human beings in the Tselem Elohim or not, which has so many implications. Um, because if not, then the whole picture is all of the goyim sitra ahara. And you're basically involved in a zero-sum relationship with all the rest of humanity. Because if you have to, by performing mitzvot, you're taking the nitzotot from sitra ahara, which will all ultimately wither away and disappear, and that will be the geula. Okay, so that's a whole way of looking at humanity, at the whole drama of human life in a very different way from Rav from Rambam and a whole different tradition or Haim David Alevi and so on. And um, this is something which I personally don't accept. Thank you. Okay. Well, then I think that's a wonderful note to end. I thank you very much, Professor, and I thank everybody for uh, for being here. A tremendous, uh, a tremendous inspiration and education for all of us. And we have it recorded, so we will uh, we'll hand it over. And we wish you a laila tov. It's very late there. Laila tov, <laughs> I saw right. laila already. Slightly after midnight. Yes, indeed. right. Laila Tov, and thank right. you very much for. Laila Tov, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bet Midrash. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review. Have a wonderful day.